Till the age of eight, I was a fucking supermodel. I was like, people would threaten to kidnap me in the streets. I'm not joking. Like, I'd walk into a store and the woman would be like, we're keeping him. And I'd be crying, but also like, yeah, you, you of course you want this. 100%. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month, when you purchase a three-month plan, more like, wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. We use Mint Mobile at the office, and we have been saving so much money since switching over, and setting up on Mint Mobile's website was super easy. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash bears. That's mintmobile.com slash bears. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash bears. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three months plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey guys, brand new episode of Two Bears, One Cave. And I, it is an honor to sit with probably the biggest movie star comedian we have. What? Without a doubt. No. Without, Kevin Hart? Oh, I don't think he's... What? I think he's lives Which in a different, those, he lives in a different universe. Right. He's, he's not... He's not sitting. He's not coming to my house. He's a god. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's funny too because uh, does it, did you ever? Because I always wondered because Kevin took to it so easily. Like I'm, I'm, did you know you know Kevin right? Yeah, a little bit. But yeah, he took to f- not just fame, but like he didn't have the imposter syndrome. He didn't no. have he didn't have a problem not giving a fuck what anyone thought. Yeah, and doing him and saying wild shit like. I'm the hardest working bi- guy in show business. This is what I do. Yeah. Like, and did you ever, like, cause, cause you, the second you posted your shirtless picture, it was a game changer. Uh, it actually was. It was. It changed my career. I think what's impressive about Kevin Hart is from the beginning, he was like, I want to be really successful at this. Obviously, yeah. he's very funny. For me, you know, I never thought of it like that. For me, it was like, I want to be as funny as I can be. I never thought about growing an audience or or being successful or honestly making money doing it beyond just what I needed to be able to, like, survive. Yeah. He was like, I want to be really funny, but also I want to be really successful at this. Yeah. He's so good at being famous. So from the beginning, he had, like, email lists. He got his own, like... Uh, audience going just from his mailing list and every tour more and more people were his fans because he's a really good comic too and then even with like you know i think acting and stuff he just approached it like a business because you know what everybody else is approaching it like a fucking business and we don't i don't yeah i approach it like an artist it's so stupid (laughs) it's a business business. you know what i mean For them, it is a business. That's why you keep losing is because they're running a business and you're following your dreams, you know? Uh, So I think Kevin's been very smart about that, using that leverage. You know, I have imposter syndrome. I'm still like, I don't want to rock the boat too much. Everything's perfect right now. Like, don't move a muscle. Don't change anything. And he's like, you know what? I, I earned this. I deserve to be here. In fact, I deserve more. So he uses the leverage that he knows he has. I'm, I wish I could be like that. I, I'm oblivious to everything. Uh, like Tom, Tom, 
you know, considering this is two bears, Tom has is is more like Kevin and less like me. Like he has no problem owning his success and not flinching at it. And he has no such thing as imposter syndrome at all. Really? At all. How when was it when did you meet Tom? Because you've known Tom for a while. For a long time. Uh probably doing stand up and then him and I wrote for Jonah Ray's uh Comedy Central pilot together. So just me and him were the writers. Really? And that would have been 2011, I think. So, like, I've known that guy 11, 12 years. And he was always super, so, so funny. Yeah, know? he's funny. He's, and, he's got his own sense of humor that's kind of like, yeah, like the way he sees things. And it's it's unwavering. I wish I was more like that. Like, I'm if you put me in a writer's room, I'll meld to what everyone else is doing. Well, that's a very tough skill to have. That took me a long time to even understand that that's something to do. Like, when I yeah. first got writing jobs, writing for other people, None of my shit worked because it would work for me, but it wouldn't work coming out of their faces, you know? Yeah. And so that was an important thing for, for me to learn. But I think you do have a voice. You understand your voice. I do you- for me. I can write for me. But when I would like, when I would get into a writer's room, I remember I had Tom and I did a show called Buzzed where we went and I was the host. He was, he was supposed to just be like a, a writer on it. And he very quickly became the executive producer and then was in charge of the show because his ideas were so bizarre, no one could really get on board with them except for me. Yeah. And I thought they were so funny that I was like, we're doing this, right? Right. And they're like, that's, once again, that's Tom's. Tom, you're going to have to, and then Tom just came, got, was in charge of the show. But that's, I, I'm, I've never had that. Like, I've always, I never felt like I was in the inside team on, on stand-up. Like, I always felt like an outsider, even in stand-up. Is that right? Hardcore. Hardcore. I'll tell you all the, I'll tell you all the outsiders I've been of, okay? Yeah. So when I got into stand-up, I was never good enough to be in that new york scene bobby kelly rich boss you started in new york I started in new york yeah yeah uh atel atel they were all they were all a class above me pete corielli uh uh they ben bailey judah friedlander uh jim gaffigan they were greg right. giraldo they were all the guys working and i was i was always just the young guy i was the guy that worked the door so i was like okay that's not my group so then i moved to la and it's sarah zach uh doug benson um, uh, Paul F. Tompkins, so Jen what, Kirkman. What rooms were you doing in L.A. then? Uh, I do the improv. Back right. then, you could do the improv. Was pretty alternative. It sounds odd, but it it wasn't like I definitely didn't fit in at UCB. I definitely didn't even fit it into the improv, like because I like I was friends with Sarah and all those guys. Yeah, but I wasn't. My comedy has never been like there. So I was an outsider there. I was an outsider at the store. I was an outsider at the Laugh Factory. I was never in on the cool group. Then you know, then you look at the like the. <laughs> The like uh, the Largo scene, not a Largo guy. Yeah, that's a very cool group. The Largo scene. <laughs> Largo scene's like the coolest. Yeah, kids I mean, in comedy. Paul Thomas Anderson used to hang out there. That's very cool, dude. That's a fucking. What did they would? It's you all would... the rock stars. You yeah, know, like the alt rock stars of comedy that now, sort of, the scene has changed so much. I think it's great to always feel like an outsider. Like you're a comedian. I feel the same way. Really? I literally recently was like, had this thought where i was like i am not cool i have never been cool i'm never going to be cool and i am finally okay with that but hold on hold on i can identify so you 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 uh i don't know aziz ansari and i hate this that I'm aziz gonna, is very cool yeah he's very cool yeah but you aziz and david chang are three people that changed the way i saw the world in a lot of respects. Because <laughs> you were like very racist before that. Very. And now and- <laughs> you're just slightly racist. 
You're just like now you're like average how everyone is racist, racist. Now I'm like run of the – now I'm just black guy racist. <laughs> <laughs> no, you – I remember when you got jacked. I remember uh, my instinct as a comic was the, the old instinct of like Joe Pesci. Once you get jacked, you're not a comic anymore. You mean right? Joe Piscopo. That's Joe it. Pesci was never jacked or a comic. And you said – I've said this on podcasts. I've said this before. But I remember you saying, uh, "Why it's about representation. Why do I have to be the, the Pakistani guy that, yeah. that just is behind the computer and goes right. like, guys, try to see the door open now. Like, yeah. And you're like, why can't I be? And, and all of a sudden I went, oh, yeah, why the fuck yeah. would you not be that? And, and, and then immediately I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, this is so much bigger than I thought. And it, it, was, the, it was an eye-opener. So a lot of times... And I say this, I will say this for most white people is like, do you think you're a good white person, but you're pretty dialed into what you believe and you don't really veer off and you don't listen to anyone. Aziz, once again, I do not know Aziz, but him and David Chang, you know David Chang? Oh, yeah. The, yeah. the, the, the chef? Yeah, I was at his restaurant last night. Yeah. his he, They were talking about what it was like growing up with food that didn't smell cool in cafeterias. Sure. And then to be a an adult and watch white people go, you got to try this. It's Indian infusion. You'll love it. Yeah. And then go, yeah, I, I know what that's like. Dude, and- I fucking, it, yes. I'm so glad it's become part of like mainstream food here. But y'all are like not using it right. Like <laughs> turmeric. Now like white restaurants love turmeric. And they're like, yeah. here's a turmeric cupcake. I'm like, that's not how it's used. <laughs> That's not what it's for. I put it in my coffee. Yeah, it tastes like dirt. Why are you eating like... It tastes like sad. It's not for that. Is that what you do? Do you put turmeric in your coffee? Fuck yeah. It's great for inflammation. It tastes like falling on your face. It's so good. It's so good. You it's guys. so good. So wrong but about it's, but I think it. I think it was like... It was the... The eye opener is like sometimes you just got to hear it from someone that you know. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it's like why it's so important to have, uh, like, a diverse friend group so that you can like say to them sometimes like, yeah, well, I never, I never thought about it that way. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've heard, I heard you talk about me on some of your podcasts. People would tell me, and I really appreciated the way you were like talking about it because uh, I thought it was very, very thoughtful and. I realize, you know, I mean, I think it's something that all of us face in this business, which is we all get put in a box, right? Where yeah. you're like, especially, yeah. Sometimes you put yourself in a box. You put yourself in a box, yeah. especially when you're a comedian, you're defining your point of view. And then that sort of becomes your like palace kind of can become your prison, right? Then it mm-hmm. suddenly becomes, oh, this is how people see me. So when I was on stage doing stand up, I'm a nerd and I would talk about nerdy things and I look, I look the way I look. And so it was hard for me in acting when I started getting into acting and I wanted to do that and wanted more opportunities. It was always the nerd, you know. It was always um, the guy who's scared or at the computer, tried the door now, that stuff. Always, 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 always. I'm not complaining. I had a lot of good opportunities and I got to be a part of a lot of good stuff and a lot of bad stuff. But No, what what do you think you did that was bad? Because I've watched everything, I think. I can't. I don't want to like. I lo- but can stuff. I tell you one of my favorite movies? What Stuber? Yeah, it's, I, I love mean, that fucking you know, movie. Dave, Dave Batista. Batista. Dave Batista is 
a national treasure. I love and him. And you and him together was the funniest goddamn fucking movie. Oh, thank movie. you. Was the funniest fucking movie. I'll say something about that movie. That I love that movie. The director's amazing. He's amazing. I love, you know, I fell in love with Batista and we're still like super tight. He's the best. He's the best. And I was like, even if this movie sucks, I was like, even if this movie doesn't make any money and the critics hate it, I'll have gotten this one thing out of it. And then as it turns out, that was the one thing that I got out of it. (laughs) Because it did not do well. And I realized that movie is really good and I'm very proud of it. But the first 10 minutes of that movie, in my opinion, um, are a little like, it, it doesn't quite start working until you're like 15 minutes into that movie. Like there's some stuff in the beginning of that movie that's not quite right. It's not quite smooth. And that's when I realized, I was like, this is a really good movie, but the people really decide whether they're going to love or hate something very quickly. Really? And then it's very hard to break your... Like, imagine you're a stand-up. Nobody knows you, right? You go on stage. Your first three jokes bomb. It's going to be very hard to win that crowd over now. Whereas you go out, you start with a great joke. This is for before the crowd knows yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start with a great joke. Now you have their trust. Yeah. So people will change, will like decide how they feel about something, and then it's very hard to change their mind. And I think with that movie, You're the right. first fifteen minutes or so were like, kind of people were like, "Oh, I don't like this, this, this." This whole movie is like that. When it's not, I think that movie is really no. Fun. I, well, I, I, I thought I thought it was great. I but I but I also am pretty like I'm pretty swayed if I know a person in it. Yeah, I get really excited. Me too. I'm like, I I don't know if this is good, but my friend's in it, and I think it's, I love it. But <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's good. Yeah, and it goes the other way too. Like you know, you've gotten to work with people, and you certain people, you're like, you're not. I think you're a, I think you're a bad person. Mm. And then I watch their stuff, and I'm like, and I don't think this is good. And then <laughs> everyone else is like, they're really good in it. I'm like, I, I don't think they are because I see what the truth is. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've there's. There's a couple guys that I, I know are bad people. And when I watch them in a movie and I see them interact with a, like a certain actress, I go, oh, I feel bad for her. Yeah. I know, I know what she's going through. Well, there's a lot of that stuff. And then there's also the people that were shitty to me and now they're not shitty to me anymore. You know, and I'm Tom, like, and I, Tom and I just talked about this the other day. Yeah. I had an opportunity. I had someone who was shitty to me. Because you, you <laughs> it's, it's funny because it's, it comes off a little cunty when you say it. Because people now look at, like, my, I'll say myself. Well, I'll say you. It's very easy to use you as an example. But you are uh, one of the highest achieving comics in the, our business. Thank you for saying that. But, 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 but so it sounds cunty when but you don't remember we were all broke as shit one time. And, and, yes. And, and we were all on the same playing field. And there were people that you would meet who would say not so kind things to you or treat you poorly or sometimes the worst offense is talk to you and then someone else would walk in and they would drop it and go right past you. Yeah, or they're talking to you, you're always looking around like who else is here. I mean, yeah. I remember every single person who was shitty to me. First of all, I want to say nobody owes being nice to me. Like I c- totally get that. Yeah. Like, there are some very famous people that when you, you meet them, they're like not nice to you. I'm like, that's okay. Just don't be like shitty and dismissive. Yeah. Like I, I, I haven't earned the right for you to like really respect me but I know people who were like really, really shitty. And I remember everyone who was shitty, who's now nice. Oh, I, And now I'm like, 
Do you not remember? I know you remember. Yeah. How could you not remember? <laughs> Do you think I'm a fucking moron? And I also remember all the people who were nice to me before they had to be nice to me and all the people who took a chance on me when they didn't have to. Uh, I'll say, I, I'll tell you one person who I've like, who's always been nice to me. And I, I, I think about him all the time is Sam Tripoli. He has always been nice to me. Mm-hmm. He has, even when we didn't know each other, he introduced himself to me, said, Hey, I think you're really funny. Are you going to tell that joke tonight? It's one of my favorite oh, jokes. Cool. And so like I, that type of person who's who you wish everyone was like, and then, and then when I was telling Tom, the person was like, uh, I'm going to use uh, Arbitrary City. He was like, yeah, I pretty much, you know, I moved to Cleveland. I pretty much, you know, run Cleveland. If you're ever going to do a spot in Cleveland, you know, hit me up, man. I can help you move to, where do you, where do you perform in Cleveland? And I said, uh, Rocket Mortgage Center. And he was like, wait. And I was like, well, yeah, where the Cavs play. And yeah. he was like, are you, you play in the Rocket Mortgage Center. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> And he you was like, like hilarities are you doing yeah yeah <laughs> and so it was one of those moments where you were like ah oh, you forgot what an asshole you were and yes. th- and now and i wasn't an asshole to you i just gave you facts and i'm and i walked away and i immediately i called tom and i was like i was like you're never gonna believe who just you know and but those moments there i've watched i've watched dudes fuck it up guys because i've never said anything outright to anyone i just know in my heart Who's been cool? Who's not been cool? Oh yeah, David Spade always been fucking cool. so nice. Always been cool, and he does not need to be cool. Does not. He need could to be, be nice. a little bit of a dismiss- dismissive asshole, yeah. but he never is. He never is. Yeah, Jim Gaffigan. Jim has Gaffigan, always been very nice. Jim Gaffigan called me when I started doing those drive-in tours. Jim Gaffigan yeah. was the first person called me. He goes, "Hey man, I know you started doing those drive-in tours. I'd like to do some too. Would you have a problem with that?" And yeah. I went. Dude, I just I just came up with a way for me to tour. If you want to do it, please. Yeah. As you're not stealing anything. He's and, such a good guy. And the other p- thing people don't know about him is hanging out with him is so funny because he's constantly on in a way that doesn't feel effortful. Yeah. But he's just like always making fun of you, making fun of everything. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, Todd Barry was very very good to Todd me. Barry right was, from the Todd Barry was Todd a Florida guy, and so when I moved to New York, Todd Barry was one of the few people. That would take a time and talk to me outside, and so you know nice. he's Todd Berry, so everything comes out in his right. in his tone. Right? Uh, are there girls waiting in there for me? <laughs> <laughs> Todd Berry's always been a fucking and yeah. he's fucking hilarious. He's so funny all the time, and I was like such a fan of his. And him and Zach Galifianakis both like took me on tour way early on. Um, I did a little tour with both of them, um, and then Zach, when I moved to New York, was like, I'm going to introduce you to all the people. So there was a show called Invite Them Up with like Eugene Merman and Bobby Tisdale used to run it. Aziz used to do it. That was the cool show. Bobby Tisdale. Did, wait, did he just do... So I, I, I might be crazy, but did, did Eugene, Eugene did a documentary. Yes. And Bobby Tisdale was in that documentary. It was about yes. doing... That was a, I think I interviewed... Eugene about that ex- exact documentary, but I loved that documentary. And Bobby Tisdale, did he tell a story about his dad dying? He might have. I don't remember, but I loved that documentary. It's so. What's so, the name of that documentary? Yeah, find out. It's so good. It's Eugene I, Merman. It probably came out last year or two years ago. It was a, sort of about that um, stand-up scene. So I think it'll yeah. show up if you type in Eugene Merman documentary. Uh, another guy who was always super nice to me was Nick Kroll. And now I'm like really good friends with him. Nick Kroll's a fucking sweetheart. When I lived in Chicago, I went to New York to do some sets. And um, 
It started as a joke. That's the name of the documentary. It started as a joke. It's a great documentary, by the way. I was see. This is the where. This is what some comics need to hear. Do not let me forget what you were just about to say about moving to Chicago. I want to talk about yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. But what was interesting is that I was never in that. That was like the East Village scene when I lived in New York. Yes. Uh, uh, I I would say names. Uh, there was a guy, Face Boy, who had a show. There was a guy named uh, Reverend Jen, who had a, a woman named Reverend Jen. Yeah, who used I to remember. Wear elf ears. Yeah, of and course. So they would run the two big shows: Surf Reality and Collective Unconscious. So when is this? Two thousand? No, ninety eight, ninety nine. Okay, yeah. And so I would go there and try to get up, but I was such a meathead that like I my material. First of all, I don't even know if I had any material, but it was about it was never going to work in that room. But, but you know, the problem is them because I don't know how you were then, but you're really funny, and I really think you would kill in every room. So if you're not doing well in that room, that's that's they're the ones fucking up. Well, no, but it, but the, that group, and it, there is a thing that happens. It happened with me in Comedy Central when I was younger. Is that you feel like you're not meshing with a group, and then some people will get resentful, and no one knows who the fuck you are. Like, you yeah. can go like, you know what? Fuck Comedy Central. Hello, I'm Johnny Knoxville. And I'm Elna Baker. And we have a new podcast. It's called Pretty Sure I Can Fly. Yep. We've teamed up with my friends and barmates from Smartless to create a podcast where we talk to folks who have more balls in a bowling alley. People who accomplish something extraordinary despite people telling them that it couldn't or shouldn't be done. You'll hear stories about the Air Force doctor who buckled into a 600-mile-per-hour rocket sled and became the fastest man on the planet. And a man who wrestles alligators and sharks for fun. Do not do this. <laughs> You'll hear about a foul-mouthed moonshiner. Got a two-inch dick and a six-inch tongue and knows how to use both of them. <laughs> and an even more foul-mouthed female stunt pilot. We got bull riders. Balloonists. Bobsledders. And big wave surfers. People who lay their balls on an anvil and hand the other fellow the hammer. Okay. I bet you've actually done that, Johnny. Maybe for sweeps. Follow Pretty Sure I Can Fly on the Wondery app. Or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Pretty Sure I Can Fly early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Is your beer fridge feeling a little empty? DoorDash is your door to beer without the run. Whatever drink you're in the mood for, they've got you. Order your alcohol with DoorDash today and drink in the savings. Use code BEARS24 to get 25% off, up to $15 value on a $35 minimum subtotal on your next alcohol order for eligible users only. I mean, there's like sometimes you just don't want to leave. That's me. Once we're at a spot and we're hanging out, I just don't want to leave. And now you don't have to. The alcohol selection on DoorDash is top shelf beer wine mixers mocktails and more can be delivered straight to your door save up to 25 percent, up to 15 dollars value when you spend 35 dollars or more with code bears 24 so whether you're grabbing drinks for an event or staying in for the night doordash is here to help you have a great evening any evening terms apply must be 21 or older to order alcohol drink responsibly delivery and promotions available only in select markets they know they I know they know who I am and they have no idea who you are. I remember <laughs> I remember being like being like fucking Comedy Central this, Comedy Central that, Comedy Central that. And then I think it was uh maybe Anne or uh or or um Joanne. Joanne yeah. who then meet me and they're like, You are fucking hilarious. Where have you been? And I'm yeah. like uh, You don't know who I am? <laughs> Wait, you haven't been plotting to destroy yeah, my career? I thought you were like actually trying to ruin my life. I thought you were ruining guys, guys. Like, I mean, what's worse? Yeah. That you were actively working against me or you were not aware of my existence? It, that's the fucking, and I was just like, 
I'm not. I've never been good at knowing who people's agents are, knowing who the managers are, knowing who the execs are. No, I've never been not good at, at all. That. But that's what I loved about Anna and Joanne, who were sort of like the stand-up people at Comedy Central. Is you know, so many, especially when you're trying to get into those festivals like Montreal. You know, I did New Faces eventually, but like Aspen HBO Festival, which has mm-hmm. been gone for a long time. Those people. Um, would really get off on the power that they knew they had over you. Mm-hmm. So the difference in power between them and you, in my experience, they got off on it and they used it and they wanted you to be aware of it. What I loved about Anne and Joanne is that it was never like that. They would hang out with you. They really wanted to find and support good new comedians. And I, and so many people from like our like scene should be so grateful to them because they gave so many people their first real shot and believed in them when nobody else did. They gave so many people their first shot. It is amazing, including me. Like when they did, yeah, me finally they're like, "You're like you're hilarious. Like, I, we got to get you on something." And you're like, and then you're like, "What? Yeah, well, it's good to meet you guys too." Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's kind of good because both of us. I think I don't know about you, but I didn't have like actual success. Until I was like many years into stand-up. How long? Sweet, sweet. Let's backtrack. Cause, and do not let me forget just to celebrate how fucking funny Zach Galifianakis is. He is one, you know, he's one of my favorite. He's so He's funny. one of my favorite human beings alive. This is what I love about Zach. I saw Zach at Brody's funeral and he came up to me and he goes, Bert, it's Zach. And I went. Yeah, we know, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. One of the biggest movie stars in the world, Zach. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite a. I've been following your career, and yeah, I definitely remember hanging out with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had that with, like, you know, I met, like, Weird Al somewhere, like, when I yeah. first moved to L.A., and then a couple of years ago, I ran into him again, and I was like, hey, I'm Kamel, and he's like, yes, we've met before. I'm like, oh, I remember. I just didn't think you would remember. <laughs> he's, like, the nicest guy in the world. So, wait, so wait, where did you grow up? Where did you Where did you grow up, grow up? I grew up in Karachi, Pakistan. You grew up in Pakistan? you spe- speak Pakistani? Urdu, Yes. Is that Urdu is yes? Mm-hmm. And wait. No, Urdu is the language, the Pakistani oh, oh, oh. language. Urdu is not yes. I thought you said yes. Yes what? is huh. Huh? Huh. Okay. Would you? So I always think, I always think micro my career, right? Like would I, what if I just moved back to Tampa and did radio in Tampa? Could you, have you ever thought about moving back to Pakistan and doing, being the biggest movie star in Pakistan? No, I've never thought of it because I don't know. I sort of, you know, I actually, I went to high school with someone. You know, this is going to sound like I'm showing off, but I'm only bringing it up to illustrate this story. There's a girl I went to high school with in Karachi, Pakistan, um, who has won two Oscars. She was my class for like short documentaries. For real? Yeah, for real. Sweet, you grew up. When did you leave Pakistan? Like uh, for college, ninety-seven. Holy shit! So I was. 18, I did not know that. And then I went to school in Grinnell, Iowa, in a tiny town in the middle of Iowa. And uh, you know, I was just like studying computer science to get a job and philosophy because I kind of like like that. I was like, oh, I can like make an argument, and if I'm persuasive, I get like. Marks. It was sort of an early version of writing, really. Yeah. It was kind of what we do, which is we present, like, this is my point of view, and then you approach it from as many different angles as you can. And for us, it's getting laughs, but it's yeah. really you're, like, exploring a certain topic or a story or whatever it is. Absolutely. So I found it was very – that sort of set me up for comedy. And then my senior year, 
you know, I'd sort of fallen in love with stand-up. I was, like, obsessed with it, watching it all the time. Like, HBO One Night Stand, those, you know, they would bring them on yeah. from the 90s, 80s. So I'd watched, like, every one of those. I, I like, got obsessed with stand-up. In my senior year of college, I did a set at on, on the co- coffee shop on campus with, like, 200 of, like, my friends. So best crowd you can imagine. Yeah. My first set ever, I did 25 minutes. Uh- can I tell you the same thing? You did the same thing? Same thing. Well, I was written up in Rolling Stone magazine as being the number one party animal in the country. And I did stand up for the first time a radio show organized it. And they had me close out the show. And I did like 25, 30 minutes. And how big is the crowd? Uh, two, probably 200 people. And are you crushing? And they're all my friends. And I destroyed. Crushed. I destroyed. Yeah. They offered yeah. me on my own morning show after that. The next that, that day, they pulled, walked me outside of Pop Ellie's and they were like, hey, would you like your own morning show? And radio you were show? like, this is unbelievable i was like i'll move to new york and become a star yeah and no, so thank you yeah Radius and so i moved to new york like two weeks later and uh had my lunch money taken from me but isn't that great that you believed in yourself enough to like take that step blindly and i think it's good that for both of us there were like years of sort of hitting the pavement and i don't want to say struggling because i feel like we were doing well on stage but not making money and all that so that when you do start getting success i or, or that first taste of like moving to New York and suddenly doing the cool shows. I yeah. had so much material that oh, yeah. nobody had seen that I'd like written over like, you know, my six years in Chicago. I could go to an open mic every day and do a new five minutes. Yeah. And all the other comics were like, this guy fucking writes so much. I was like, no, I just, most people started in New York. I started in Chicago. Yeah. I had six years of material and chops. And so I hit the ground running in New York, and that really helped. I've, I was the opposite in that my, 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 I didn't have, I had maybe seven minutes when I was in New York. The whole time I had seven minutes. How long were you in New York? I, I was in New York. I was in New York. Well, I wasn't in New York that long, I guess, technically. I was working the door, and I could, I could talk to the audience. I could do crowd work. But I legit had seven minutes. And were you trying new material and it wasn't working on you? Were like, I got my seven. I got my seven. Yeah. I got my seven. And 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 for me, it was about fucking around and having yeah. fun on stage and being in the moment. But at that time, the, in the clubs, most New York comics were doing crowd work. And then like the good ones, I could tell, would do crowd work and then shoehorn his material into his crowd work. Yeah. And you didn't know it. You just thought he is amazing and then you right. watch his hour and you're like oh those are all the jokes uh, yeah that he does on stage but i had seven minutes and then i got i got discovered by will smith moved out here like six months in i got discovered by Wait, will i'm smith. sorry what are you talking what do you what do you mean you got discovered by got will discovered smith? by will smith like he wanted to do a tv show with the me. will smith the will smith the, yep okay and so i moved out here Millennial? six months into standing yeah. doing stand-up lived in the universal sheridan for seven months the deal went away right the, they all do yeah We'll go back to New York for three weeks, do another stand-up set, get another deal, get a TV show, and then I'm just, I'm like, and I had seven minutes. I had seven fucking minutes. Well, because for TV shows, it, what matters is your presence and point of view, which you yeah. obviously had on stage, you yeah. know. You could have, like, two hours of written material and be worse at doing a TV show than what you were doing, which is yeah. you had seven minutes of material, but you understood why you were funny. But and then what happened for me is I ended up doing stand up on the road and and featuring and headlining B rooms and 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 now I had success. But then although this is that time where I thought everyone at Comedy Central hated me. Well, how many years did you like do the road like that? Like Pretty I mean, aggressive. comedy club road, not like you know, uh, 
Staples well, Center Road. Probably, um, probably, uh, six years ago. Probably 10 years solid. 10 solid years of stand-up comedy club touring. Club, yeah. Wow. Club touring, 10 years, and then. That's so good that you did that and it didn't, like, defeat you. Because, you know, sometimes you yeah. would, like, when I first started featuring on the road, you'd have these, like, road dogs doing, like, headline sets, and you're, like, you're broken inside. Oh, I would, my favorite thing to do was to. Uh, highlight things people were doing that I didn't want to do. Because I was like, I can't learn what, I can't learn from anyone out here. This sounds really horrible. But like very quickly, I realized a lot of the people you're going to feature for that were road dogs were not fantastic comics. No. <laughs> and, and they were doing the same thing. And I, and I wasn't, stand-up wise, I wasn't going to take anything and apply it to what I was doing. I, I wasn't learning anything new. Yeah. And a lot of times I was writing because they were not that they were so bad, but I would write on stage and just have fun on stage and create on stage. Yeah. And I got to that level where I could do that. And then I just started looking at things and uh, and highlighting what not to do as a man that would derail your career. It For was sure. And it was there's a line in Judith. I'm I'm not it's a, it's a perfect circle song. Uh, but it's such you're such an example of the ways I never want to be. Yeah. And I would just look at what guys were doing, whether yeah. it was pills or Coke or uh, fucking the manager yeah. or f- cheating on their wives or, or preaching in the green room or like, <sighs> I was just all these things that I go, all right, don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, don't yeah. do that. I think having negative role models is just as important. Oh, it's, as having it's almost more important. I, I have those from my personal life, like from my family. I have like people that I'm like, Oh, I, m- my entire being is going to be, created in opposition to everything you are yeah uh and then uh you know on sets now seeing how people are and people ask me for like advice for success and i'm like all i have is show up on time and be nice to everybody that's all i got have you isn't it mind-blowing when you see someone on a set of a movie or a tv show behave poorly all the time and you go yeah does no, is no one saying something to you like nobody says anything because if you're an actor you're like an emperor it's fucking insanity to me it is it really is and you know i learned that from um working with you know martin Starr a bunch and he was always very judgmental of he didn't judge people how Martin Starr is from uh, Silicon, Silicon Valley, Valley, one of the best actors I've ever worked Pull with. Picture Martin Starr. I know, I know this dude. Yeah, you'll you'll know him when you yeah. see him. Um, he's in Silicon Valley, uh, and Freaks and Geeks. Uh, oh, I love that, that guy. guy. He's amazing, and he would always judge people not based on how good they were at um, their work at acting, but how good they were to the crew and cast. You know. Um, and I was like, that's how, that's how it should be. Like, yeah. I think sometimes as comics, you know, when I first started out in Chicago, everyone was nice to the funny people, even if they were dicks and they were shitty to the unfunny people, even if they were nice, that's just how it was. Yeah. And that's kind of how I fell into it too. You know, like we kind of made fun of the guys who weren't funny, but like perfectly good human beings. And now the last 10 years being on like, doing acting stuff i've realized being a good person is way more important than anything else. way more the best advice i ever got from uh i've got i mean i've got a ton of good advice from people but uh the best advice i ever got well the best advice i ever got was you can't determine whether a movie is going to be good or not what you can determine is do you have a great time shooting that movie and if you have a great time (laughs) chances are it'll translate 
Because I was like, when we did the machine, I was like, I'm going to be sober. I'm going to clean up. I'm going to be, I'm going to look amazing. Dude, I'm not you got to, you know, that's so good. I want to hear about that movie, but it's so good because like when you get an opportunity like that, you have to bite down on it. Yeah. You can't choose when the opportunities come, but you can choose to be ready. Yeah. And, and whenever it comes, like you have to really give it your all. It's you fucking give hard. It everything. Yeah. You got to give it everything. The, um, but yeah, but watching people and then like the other thing I was like, like, I don't, I, I didn't realize sometimes you hear stories about people being sexually inappropriate on set and, uh, you'll in, when you read about it, you go, Oh, I bet they mistook a joke, but then you get on set and you realize just how inappropriate those jokes are. Yes. <laughs> like just even to be like, does anyone want to? Yeah. sit on my face today like it's, yeah. it's sure i get you're joking but it's really weird well you're also what it what it, it there is is a power differential right so if you're on the set of the machine you're number yeah. one on the call sheet it's your movie you you do have the power on that set so if you make fun of a pa no matter how good natured you're trying to be yeah. and you're being not being inappropriate you're making an appropriate joke that's still an expression of your power because that pa can't make that joke to you um, now you can try and create a situation where people will make fun of you the way you make fun of them. And yeah. I think, but initially, you know, that's what I noticed too. I, I, I worked with some people who were like sort of my heroes, really funny people. And I would see how they would like make fun of the crew. And it felt to me, they were sort of putting them in their place a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you don't need to do that. These people are here. They're working really hard. So for me, I now try and just, Everyone is equal. I'm not going to make fun of you because I know you feel weird about making fun of me. Yeah. And I try and have it not be such like a competitive atmosphere on set. We did. We were, I, f I forget what we were going to do. I forget how it was working. But we had, we shot in a casino for like fucking three weeks or two weeks. So we had casino games. And I was like, hey, let's fucking gamble. Yeah. And I was like, all right. Uh, and I set up a gambling scenario, and everyone's like, I'm in, I'm in. And my director, Peter Atencio, pulled me aside, and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You are not taking crew members' money. And I was like, the fuck I'm not. <laughs> I go, we're gambling, Peter. And he goes, hold on, hold on, hold on. He goes, unless you decide to lose every time, I will not let you do this. And I go, why? And he goes, you're not going to roll in here, the big dick who gets paid the most money, and then take everyone's fucking money. And then I was like... That's a pretty good point. That's, that's a pretty that's good point. That's very nice of Atencio <laughs> to say that. That's yeah. very cool. Buying someone jewelry is usually a great experience all around. They get a beautiful gift, and you get the unforgettable moment of seeing the look on their face when they open it. The only tricky part, figuring out how to get the perfect piece at the best price. This is what I recommend for any jewelry purchase. Source it from BlueNile.com. Blue Nile offers thousands of independently graded diamonds and fine jewelry at prices significantly below traditional retail. They also offer a peace of mind with every purchase with some of the highest quality standards in the industry. They're available 24-7 by phone or chat to answer technical questions and give recommendations for every budget. The thing about buying jewelry is you really don't know what you're getting into. You don't know what you're looking at often. And the great thing about working with Blue Nile is you have somebody who's a true expert that can help guide you along the way so you don't feel lost, so you know what these diamond grades are, you know you're getting real value. You can feel great about your purchase because Blue Nile also offers a diamond price match guarantee. And just in case you don't, they offer 30-day returns. Shop Blue Nile today and experience the ease and convenience of the original online jeweler. Go 
to BlueNile.com today. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah. You know, it's that thing of like, I don't know if you sometimes do $5 Fridays where like everybody puts yeah. in five bucks. And you know what? You you, you put in as more than anybody else and you don't put your name in. You just put PA So because yeah. they're the ones getting the least money. I, I always put my name in. <laughs> yeah. I Sure. I love that gamble. I yeah. love that gamble. I know. And then donate the money, man. Yeah, or give no, it back to them. I did. I did. Uh, I, I did a a raffle. They did a raffle, a fifty fifty raffle at the Special Olympics, and the kids were selling the tickets. And I was like, and you know, I don't. I, I I've never talked to anyone as if they weren't an adult, even my children. Right. Of course. So these Special Olympics children, yeah, or children, you know, fifteen, twenty. Sure. They're selling tickets, and I was like, I'm fucking winning this, and they're yeah. like. They're like, no, you're not. And I was like, yeah, the fuck I am. I go, before you go up and you, before you do it, you come to me and ask me, find out how much money I'm going to buy, spend. Yeah. So this kid comes over and he goes, they're ready to pull it. Uh, pot's 700 bucks. I go, put me in for 800. And he yeah. goes, hold on. And I was like, give me 800 tickets right now. And this kid got so, and he goes, wait, if you win, you're not going to win any money. I go, no, but I'll win. <laughs> and, and I, I won and i had to i donated it you won because you had them. more than 50 yeah, yeah i'd went more than 50 percent yeah and i doubled great. their pot and i just gave everyone an extra 800 bucks or whatever but uh but yeah that's in, it's interesting to me what was the what was the chicago scene like it was you pete holmes tj hannibal hannibal kyle bronger bronger uh, it was a killer scene, you know, John Roy. I mean, we had probably the best scene to have ever come out of any place ever. Let's think scenes, right? You got the early nineties, Boston scene. Yeah. With like, uh, Rogan. Clark and well, no, you got Rogan, Marin, Burr, Dane. Yeah. Patrice. That's, that's a pretty a, fucking, that's a pretty, that I think that beats us. That's a pretty intense. It's a scene. pretty intense scene. You got the San Francisco scene, which is Patton, uh, 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 Blaine Capatch, yeah. Brian Pusain. Yeah. Uh, I think probably Marin. Oh, Two? But, yeah. You know, uh, fucking, uh, I'm, what's the guy's name? David Cross was a Boston guy. Yeah, sure. That's a pretty tight scene, but your scene was. Pretty intense, legit. pretty great, and I'll tell you, I got there, and the scene was already pretty established, but we weren't playing to big crowds. There was one show called The Lincoln Lodge that probably seated 60 people in the back of a diner, and that was sort of the show that people would go to, and that show was once a week. Everything, everyone else, Every other show was like uh, dead crowds at bars, so we're kind of performing for each other. But these people were already, you know, so Pete and I showed up at the same time, Kyle was like already there and really funny. Kyle was the first comic, speaking of someone who's always nice, was the first comic in Chicago, first established comic in Chicago to be like, hey, you're really funny. You should go to like Zany's and see if they'll give you a guest set. Um, but the, the, the reason that everybody was good, I think, was we really called each other out and it wasn't about killing. It was about being original. So like, you know, we had this open mic every week, the Lions Den. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it was this open mic from like 
2001 to like 2004 or five was when it was like, it was an open mic, but it was jam packed. It was like this, somehow there would be road comics who would come in and be like, this is the best room in the country right now. It was just an open mic. Everyone signs up, 60 comics go up five minutes each. And so, you know, and there were like things like you want to go up between like five and 20. Then there's a lull from like 20 to 35. And then after 35, uh, you know, the the guys who work as waiters at cool restaurants, they come to do open mics and they bring all like their hot friends. So yeah. at like 11 p.m., there's another wave and then it crushes to one. So you want to be like, oh, wow. I trade spots to get to like a sweet spot, you know. Um, but... So so sometimes you go up and it's a fucking packed crowd and it's all open mic. So I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna do the thing that I that I know I got that's gonna crush. And I go <laughs> up and I fucking murder. And then Kyle would be like, that was really good. But you know, I saw you do that last week. And I'm like, shit, he's right. He's like, this room is for you to write new material. And I was like, that's exactly right. So then there was this honor system of like. You always got a new new stuff here. You can't like bring your old shit here. That's crazy. That's and, such a fucking banger of a scene. Yeah, and it was just about finding your voice. That's what everybody cared about. It was about being original. It was you could not be hacked. It was a vicious scene that way. So we would have some comics who were like doing the road and doing well, but when they came to these shows, like if they were doing something hack, like comics were like fucking mean to them. I, that shit, that I own the only place I ever did in Chicago was Riddles. Do you remember Riddles? Mm, the South Side, right? I never predominantly did black club. Yeah, I did it with Hannibal one time. It was a very uh, segregated comedy scene. So like uh, Hannibal was with us, but Rel, you know, Lil Rel, yeah, yeah, Lil Rel. He was he was there at the same time, but he was in the South Side scene. So. We'd run into each other when we D-Ray had... D-Ray like, was in the South Side scene. D-Ray, yeah, D-Ray would come up with Dion Cole. Dion Cole's Dion Cole Wow, was that like makes a, so much sense now that you say Dion Cole's out of Chicago. Yeah. Man, knew that. He's a legend over Dion, there. Dion has been consistently a friend to me in times that, like, like every time I've ever asked him to do something as a favor, yeah. he never once has wavered at all. Yeah. As if we grew up together, I... I, I I like I've Dion's the really, really good one of the dude. greatest dudes. And you know, sometimes you end up doing a show in the suburbs, and it's uh, you, that's when you run into Rel or Dion or Tiffany Haddish is from that scene. You know, really? yeah, she was. I would see her go up, and she would oh, wow. kill. But we would all come together when there was like a Montreal showcase or an Aspen showcase. So that's oh, when like the two yeah. scenes, which were unfortunately segregated, you'd see like. Um, oh wow, that person's really funny, and I always loved Ral. We'd all, we'd always like you know get along. So I'm so happy for all his success. I was telling, I was go ahead, keep going. Hannibal was weird because Hannibal, when he started, was not funny. I don't know how he's going to feel about me saying this. Uh, I love Hannibal. Obviously, one of the funniest comedians. Very. Yeah, so so funny. That's why I feel okay saying this. He was not funny. <laughs> He was one of those comics where, like, you know, comics leave the room when they go up. It was yeah. like that. Like I said, it was a vicious scene. And then I remember, uh, I think of my buddy Robert Buscemi, who's a very funny comic, also from Chicago, who's here now. He was like, I think I left already. Or I was, so he was like, you know who's really funny now? Hannibal. And I was like, what are you talking about? Hannibal Burris is funny? <laughs> That's crazy. And then I saw him, and he had gone from bombing to crushing overnight. It yeah. wasn't like... You know, slowly he was getting better. 
he like clicked in, figured out his rhythm, and then just started crushing. Yeah. It was like night and day immediately. He bombed, and I, I'm comfortable saying this, he bombed so bad at riddles with me, opening for me. <laughs> and, and was he already like Hannibal and funny? No, yeah. No. He wasn't. He, he wasn't. I, this must have been, and maybe he was. I mean, I remember liking him and going like. What year are we talking? 2000 and. It's got to be 2004, 2005. Yeah, that could have been before the switch. Yeah, and then. And then in 2009-ish, maybe I'm, I'm guessing years. It was when, it was when, it was right, it was when I told the machine for the first time that year because I, things started changing for me where people were like. like one bit. Yeah. One bit. And, yeah. and, and, and I, I had that bit too. Yeah. And, where you're suddenly like, oh, that's the bit. Yeah. And we did Amsterdam together and in like, for like a Showtime thing. And he murdered so effortlessly hard yeah. in this room that I went, and I was like, "Wait, this is the same Hannibal?" Yeah, that's how all our experience was, dude. I was like, "Fuck!" And by the way, we, me and Tom just talked about Hannibal the other day on this podcast. He is someone because when we talk about people who, our thing was like people who got heat. I think you'll probably definitely identify with what I'm talking about. People that got heat young, and when we were all at the same time, and then then they got heat and they turn into complete and total assholes. And then, and then, and you're like, and then all of a sudden their heat kind of goes away. Yeah. And then they're like, Hey man, I should do your podcast more often. And you're yeah. like, okay. Yeah. And, but Hannibal is someone who got heat, but wasn't an asshole. Didn't change at all. Didn't change at all. Not at, not, not, not a sort of second. Emily and I talk about this. We're like, you have one year. Once you get like your first taste of success, you have one year to find yourself again. Cause we, I've had that, you know, where you have people where you're like, Oh, you're like an asshole. And then they come back around. They come back to earth. Yeah. Even, and not because they've been humbled. They still have the success, but they've just learned to like sit into themselves more. You got you to have, have one year of, of, uh, of almost like fuck you energy. It's like a grace period that I give them. I don't think you need to have that fuck you energy. Or if it's fuck you, fuck you up. Don't fuck yeah. you down. Yeah, don't yeah, like yeah, fuck. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but then some people don't ever come back, you know? Some people change and they just stay up there i've seen it i i mean i've had i i wish i could just say names to I, you on this I was just gonna say i wish we could just say names there's i've had people say the most because my, my, my path was so bizarre in this business that i think i'm really blessed i think that i didn't get any success until i was mid 40s because i probably would have been that <laughs> problematic dude on set the fucking, I never would have gotten married. I never would have had kids. I would have just, I would have just fucked up everything. I would have fucked up everything and I would have been unbearable to everyone. I would have been great. I wish I'd had success when I was 22. I would have handled it great. <laughs> I would have had, oh my God, I've had another like, you know, 10 years of career before this. Oh, what was your I'd first nice. per big thing? Was it Silicon Valley? Uh, I would say that was my first big thing that like such suddenly, a great fucking show. It was such a great show and such a great thing to be a part of. Um and such a great cat like cast of people. I like, wish everyone was bangers. I was more present and less nervous so that I could learn from some of those people I was working with. It was all, for all of us, other than Martin, who had Freaks and Geeks, which is one of the greatest shows of all time, and that yeah. character he played is one of the greatest characters of all time he is is martin does martin play the character that watches gary shandling yes 
I love what that a great scene. scene. I love that scene. It really is. I think that any comic, is, any comic, all of us, all every of comic us, identifies with that scene. Where you feel, you know, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, I was like, I do not belong. Nobody's like me. It fucking sucks. I wish I was normal. I wish I was like everybody else, or I wish I was invisible. Yeah. I hate that people can see me. <laughs> and and to see him watch that and lose himself, and I'm getting like emotional just talking about it. It's really really beautiful scene but for all of us it was our first big gig like that so there was a lot of i was i just kind of felt like these people are so funny i had hardcore imposter syndrome on that show for the first few years really and i just was like kind of a little bit in crisis the entire time um and uh, and i wish i hadn't had that and i trusted myself more and that i learned from these people a bit more i think maybe all of us other than Martin, had that thing of like, I don't know if I belong here, so I have to really? like be. Yeah, it was interesting. My first, everything I've had has actually come from a sketch I did on Portlandia. Do you know Portlandia? I, only because I'm a Fred Armisen and Slater Kinney fan. I mean, th- amazing, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Slater Kinney fan. Yeah. Uh, and like, I know that doesn't track for what I look like, but like, and Fred Armisen is genuinely one of the sweetest human beings I've ever met. I met him at Aspen when the girls, I must have been 2007, and he was sitting with Nick Swartz, and I knew Nick. I did not know Fred. He was on SNL at the time. I also knew he was friends with Jeff Tweedy, and who I'm yeah. a huge fucking fan of. Of course. And I just and I sat down in that lobby of whatever hotel it is, and uh, and Nick was like, hey, Bert. I was like, hey, what's up? And then Fred was like, hey, I'm, I'm Fred. And I was like, hi. And he was like, sit down. Yeah. And I, I was like, oh, you don't normally, no one. I'm nobody. I'm yeah. Fred. So he was a very sweet guy. I did a sketch on that where I play like a cell phone salesman that's trying to upsell them when they need a phone for an emergency, and the whole thing was improvised. And every job I've had has come from that one sketch. That sketch, Silicon Valley, was the result of that sketch. So I would say that sketch changed my life subtly because it wasn't a. I don't. You know, it wasn't a show that millions and millions watched, but. Everybody sort of in the biz watched it because it was like this cool, weird comedy show and they're so funny and there hadn't been a sketch show like that. My sketch turned out great. You know, it was really funny. Um, And so suddenly I started getting like acting jobs just from that one sketch. And Silicon Valley is sort of indirectly a, a result of that. But Silicon Valley was the first one where people started recognizing me. People, you know... When you're sort of a cool stand-up in New York, people will, like, recognize you a little bit. And, yeah. I, I, you know, I had, like, my cool, like, stand-up years, you know, which, which are now behind me. Um, do, you but, feel like, do, you feel like, do you feel like there's two Kumails? No, I still feel like the same person. I just wish I could go back. The other stuff takes up so much time. I wish I could. I, re- I miss being really good at it. Yeah. I, re- I miss... I miss how much I loved it, you know? Yeah. I really loved stand-up, doing it, watching other people, seeing someone, like, really crush, and then being like, all right, I want to crush a little bit more, and I yeah. think I can. I think I can do it. You know that feeling, which I'm sure you have now? I had a feeling for a little while where I was like, I'm not saying it was right, but I had this confidence where I was like, I can go up in any crowd in front of anybody and do and kill. I had that feeling for a well, few years. I have a feeling right now where I 
can go. I, I and it's I, I don't I think it's because because I'm I've have an hour of this dialed in, but I can go up with yeah. nothing with nothing to say and murder off the top of my head. Yeah. I like I've been doing it at, lately because I don't because I don't want to redo my I don't I don't like doing my hour at the store so I just when I go up at the store it's to explore yeah so there's no there's no um there's no peril in it for me because I'm just looking I'm just really kind of exploring to see if I can find something that'll fit in yeah and uh and I uh and I'm I'm in a zone right now where I go but I know it's going to go away the second I get rid of this hour and I got to start writing again. It'll go away, and I'll have to figure things out. And I'll be, yeah. I'll, I'll be have a different hunger, but I know that feeling. It's such a great. It's feeling. such a great feeling, and I started. My philosophy became like, I'm going to go up and not know what I'm going to do, and I'm not going to go to my material for as long as I can. It's the best fucking for just feeling. the longest I can. And ideal. I mean, I never hit like a full hour without going to my material because yeah. at some point you're like riffing and doing great, and at some point it's like, oh. If you think this is good, wait till you get get a load of the stuff I've been working on for months. I used to call it swimming away from the boat. So like, because like we yes. go we go up in Florida and you'd the whole fun was you go out to you go out to a sandbar, you go out to the ocean, you'd be fishing, you jump into the water, and I used to see how far I could swim away from the boat. But I always knew the boat was there. Right, I could always go back to the boat, but right. I wanted to the see boat, how far the boat is. The material, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I man, I love those. That was I was probably my best. I was a hacky comic, but I was probably my strongest on stage when I was those ten years I was doing the road. Really, of I'm, course, I'm a better comic now. I'm a little more, ins- I'm a little more thoughtful in what I say. But you also, I think, those ten years of chops are like part of your DNA, you know. So that's like something that you that you can bring oh, up. You know I had that so feeling. Many tricks. I had so many things I could. Do. I had such a quiver of fucking things that I mean. Yeah. And then, and by the way, like. And in that quiver, out of that ten years, came ripping my shirt off. And then all of a sudden, I I remember being like, I remember thinking I was so good. And then and then you work with someone who's good, yeah. Like like say like Tommy John again or someone, and you go so funny. Oh fuck, he was in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, he was. That's right. Nate Bargatze was in Chicago with us. So that's a pretty crazy group. I remember working with Nate for the first time, and then going, Oh, I'm not funny at all. He's so good. Both those guys sort of were in Chicago as like um, they had a plan. They were like, I'm going to be here and then I'm going to leave. Yeah. And they were both like not as funny as they are now, but they were both funny then. Like they were the funny comics, but they were like, I'm moving through. Whereas I, you know, kind of like settled into Chicago and stayed there a couple of years longer than I meant to. Really? Yeah. My last two years in Chicago, I really felt because, you know, the ceiling's pretty low in Chicago, like in terms of the kinds of shows you can do, right? Yeah. Once you get into like the big shows, which you really, if you're funny, you move to Chicago in a month and a half, really, if you're doing well, you can kind of start doing all the shows. And then at that point, uh, it's sort of done. And my last two years, you know, Kyle had left, Pete had left, TJ had left, Hannibal had left. All the people that I'd started with had kind yeah. of moved on and were Bronger had left. They were all crushing in New York or LA, you know. And I was sort of the leftover from that scene. Um, plus a bunch of other guys, too, who kind of, a lot of guys never left. You know, that 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 happens, too. Yeah. I'm sure that happened in your, you started in Florida, right? No, no, no. No, you no, went to New York. Yeah. You started in New York. No, but, that, but, it, but it happens in New York. Like, there's guys that yeah. I started with that I that are in New York that I always go, like, they, they, they're, I mean, they're, 
they haven't left the business. They're still working at the cellar. I know. But I always go like, God, man, you should have been on the road yeah. a long time ago. You should be doing fucking You theaters. got comfortable. You yeah. see people who are really funny who are still doing the same material they were doing. But so the last two years in Chicago, I was sort of in a place where I was sort of like doing the same shows. I wasn't writing as much. All the yeah. people who were really like pushing me to write have moved on. I was just kind of like stuck. I was in a rut my last two years in Chicago. And I'm very lucky. I, I met Emily. We fell in love. You met her in L.A. or in Chicago? Chicago. Oh, I thought you guys met in L.A. No, we met in Chicago. She wasn't a writer at that time. She was like just out of like grad school. She was starting to be a therapist. And just, I don't know, our relationship was sort of inspiring. And it sort of became like, oh, I have to, I have to really like, get out of this little pond that I've gotten very comfortable in. Really? Quit my job. We got married at City Hall and moved to New York with like all the money that I'd saved. How over long were you in New York before you moved out, out to LA? Only two years. When I, moved in, when I moved to New York, I was lucky in that, you know, Zach vouched for me, Pete vouched for me. And so I started doing the good shows immediately. Oh, that's right. Pete moved to New York first. Pete was in New York. Yeah, Pete moved from uh, Chicago to New York pretty quickly. Like, I think he was only in Chicago like two or three years. Pete also had a plan. He was Pete, like, Pete's always had a plan. Pete's always had a plan. Yeah. And Pete was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Um, and you can almost see Pete concoct his plan in his eyes sometimes. Like, I remember we did a podcast one time, and in the middle of the podcast, he's doing this, and he goes, can we both release this? And I go, is it good? And he goes, this is a really good podcast. <laughs> was like, I love the way you can almost see Pete do the math in his head sometimes. Yeah. See, I don't. I don't think like that. I really don't. I wish I did. I no, really... Pete's, Pete's just Pete is Pete is a guy that like I I I look up to the way he I would look up to him in a lot of ways. I love his stand up's fucking phenomenal. I mean his stand up's phenomenal, but the, the more importantly, what he's done that I I that very few people have achieved is created things for himself and said I, I will do this show about my life. I want to yeah. do this show and spearhead it and move it forward and then go. Uh, I'm gonna do. Me and Judd Apatow are going to tour together. Like he, it, Steve Byrne does it too. They're, they're guys who go, who do not sit on their ass. No. And Pete is also a very hard worker, but also a very quick worker. Like he'll yeah. be like, I have this idea for a script. And then four days later, he's like, hey, would you read it? Tell me what you think. I'm like, you already wrote it. And then you read it and you're like, fuck, this is really good. Yeah. Like you, you know how to write a pilot too. Yeah. So Pete's totally like that. Um, but I, for me, when I moved to New York, things started like happening really quickly because there's enough industry there, you know, yeah. and I had these people vouching for me. And I just kind of like just before I moved to New York, I sort of wrote this one man show about my life. That was like the first time I'd done anything that was kind of personal. And I did this hour-long one-man show in Chicago, like twice, and I sold out the Lakeshore Theater, and I got all. I these remember the Lakeshore Theater, the like a cool, a cool guy ran it. Yeah, it was, uh, Chris Chris Ritter ran yeah. it, and uh, he got like great comics, and he would let us in to watch for free, and you could do like, you know, like uh, uh, Mark Maron and Patton Oswalt, yeah. and you know, Julia Sweeney did her like awesome one one person show there. So I did that show there. And it was so hard doing that show, talking about my life, that suddenly it opened up my stand-up. I went from just doing like one-liners to suddenly now, I'm not saying being really personal on stage or anything. I'm just saying suddenly I, I went from being able to only do like 30-second jokes to telling a seven-minute story. And it changed very quickly 
for me being able to do that. Yeah. And I just understood the math of doing a seven minute story, which is what you do, right? Yeah. You like like long stories. But I had that I had that moment too. I DC Benny and I did a um, storytelling show in so on on Houston Street. And I went in. It's and, such cheating when comedians do storytelling oh, shows. It was, it's like just mauling all the bunnies. Yeah, it is. It is. It was. Uh, it, I went in and I, immediately when I did it, I was like, what the fuck have I been doing on stage? Dude. I was like, I'm so much better at telling a story than I am uh, set up. Pun- I was, it's also so good because like a set up punch, you set up, you punch. Now it's over. Now you're going to start over. Seven yeah. minute story. You set it up for you're getting laughs, but three minutes yeah. in, you're like, now it's just four minutes of laughs. Yeah. I've like done all the work and it's just payoff. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking it's yeah. the best. So when I moved to New York, I'd started writing like that. And so I just suddenly felt very ready for all these shows and sort of getting a little bit of like, you know, Anne and Joanne from Comedy Central. Uh, it wasn't Premium Blend. It was Live at Gotham, which was oh, the yeah. one right after that. I did Premium Blend. You did Premium Blend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so suddenly it was New York was I was only in New York for like two years, but it was like a very it changed my life absolutely completely. Suddenly I was making a living at stand up. I remember when you guys all moved out here. That's when I remember. That's when I remember seeing you for the first time, seeing Pete for the first time, TJ. Um, yeah, Pete and I moved to L.A. around the same time. We were both in New York together. Pete, I remember doing Pete's podcast and I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, I remember telling that to Tom being yeah. like. Oh, this guy's fucking he's good and he goes he goes you, you, i remember tom being like you did they're all all the chicago guys are good and i was like what and he was like you know uh kyle Kinane? And i was like no he was I mean, like you got to see him and then so i remember funny. i remember i followed you on a, i think it was a storytelling show and you fucking blew me away and i was like oh my god and then i was called tom i was like they're all fucking amazing yeah it's i think it was just from us coming from that scene and doing that one open mic where it was like you know you go off and do all the weird shows in the suburbs and all that so you get guest spots at the club and then once a week every comic in the north side of chicago comes and like checks in with each other and it really it was really really exciting while it lasted you know and then you know that club that 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 place shut down to the open mic went. So my last two years in Chicago, that wasn't there anymore. Oh, really? So it really, the scene had really changed and I was still kind of hanging around. Like it it had been time for me to leave. So by the time I got to New York, I really was like sort of hungry to show that I could be really good, you know? Um, And, and, and I'm, I, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to be arrogant. I don't feel like that anymore. I don't, I don't have that. I, would, I think it would take me a while to sort of... Because, you know, when you're doing stand-up and you're writing stand-up, I was also always kind of walking around like, is there anything? Oh, is that? Okay. Yeah. Dice, white dice, white dice, blue dice. What's Okay. Uh, that's nothing. But you're always, like, thinking about that. And now I don't... I'm not in that gear you're anymore. In, you're in... You're, I, I used to say I would have different hats I could put on. Yes. And I could be in production hat. Yes. And if I was in production hat, it was about flights it was about uh call times it was about like cause I, for, for travel channel i'd do that and then uh when i'd go back to stand up wait would, what do you mean for travel channel do you I, do? I worked at try i worked at travel channel i was a host of travel channel but why did they make you do all the productions uh, because i was an executive producer of the show okay and i was very hands-on yeah i was i could be what you would call difficult because i had certain like like i'd be like hold on why are we getting up at four in the morning to get to the to get to the airport? And because a lot of times people that they put in charge had never flown. 
It's also you understand the requirements of the show more than anybody else does. When it's your show, yeah. you know it more than anybody. Now, the the real talent is figuring out who's good at what and, you know, making sure that we're all working together to do it. But sometimes when you're, like, running your own show, nobody's going to care about it as much as you. No, and I, and I would have that hat, and then I'd try to go back into stand-up, and I, was, I could regurgitate stand-up, but I wasn't living in stand-up. You have to switch. It's and, like yeah. it's like a it's like a brain shift, and so for me now, I don't I don't think like that anymore. I'm sort of focusing more on you know acting and writing and that kind of stuff, which I fucking love and I find very challenging because yeah. you work with an actor sometimes where you're like, "Are you a magician? What's going on? How oh, are you doing yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like with stand up. That's why I love seeing like Reggie Watts because I would see him go up and I'm like. I could never do what you do. <laughs> with other comedians. You know, you no matter how good they are, you see them up on stage like Kevin Hart or, you know, you see someone fucking crush and you're like, I want to do that. I think I could do that. That's what I want to do. But with Reggie, you don't have the pressure where you're like, okay, yeah, I'll never get good at that. Yeah. With acting, you know, it's like that sometimes when you work with someone and you're just like, you're so able to do this. I want to be able to. I want to learn from you. I am. Uh, yeah. I. I had a. Uh, I had one experience with Mark Hamill, where he got. We was. It was his close up, and he just fucking turned the screws. And I'm not even. I'm. I'm just doing lines with him, and we were acting, but like it. The camera's on him, and I started crying. Yeah. Um. The camera's not even on me. Like. Turn yeah. the camera around. Yeah. Get this. He can do that. I, 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 this is the one time I can do yeah. this. And so Peter Atencio is like, hey, man, I love that reaction. That's a great reaction. Do it again. And I was like, well, I, I don't know how I did that. Yeah, yeah, we don't. Yeah, and I was like, and I was like, hey, Mark, can you do the thing? Whatever you do with your under eye when you're, you're doing this thing to me. But did he know that he, he was go, doing it? He goes, you mean act? And I went, yeah, could you do that to me? He goes, you okay. want me to Hey, okay. uh, Luke Skywalker, could yeah. you holster the attitude? Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so you, I could, I had a lot of fun. I, I never, I never really cared about acting in my life. I never thought that would be the path. Yeah. And then I, as soon as I got done that movie, I was like, I'd do different movies. I, I would like to see. So you love doing it. I loved it. Yeah. I, you I got the bug. It. I loved yeah. everything about it. That's I, I, how it was for me. I was writing on a show called Michael and Michael of Issues in New York. Uh, uh wait, were, uh. I, th- I want to say my buddy Tony Hernandez was producing that. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, wow. Yeah, he produces all my specials. I grew up with him. Yeah, cool. And, and, he, and But he's good friends with that whole state scene. Yeah, that whole state scene. Yeah. I sort of fell in with those guys when I moved to New York. It's a great group of guys. And so they really took care of me. And then in, in uh, L.A., too, I worked with, you know, one of the first people who gave me a shot in the movie was uh, Tom Lennon and Ben Garant. They like, I could see that they made this movie called Hell Baby. That was a very funny movie with like, um, you know, uh, Keegan-Michael Key and uh, Rob, Rob Hubel and like really, really funny people. Rob Corddry was the, was the lead of it. And um, so they gave me a small part in it because Tom had seen me in something and I went on, I just had like two scenes, you know, I did my first take and I remember Tom looking over at Ben and Ben sort of giving him a nod, like, good choice. And that they never said anything to me. I just <laughs> felt so fucking good in that moment. But writing for Michael and Michael have issues, they were like, we want all the actors, the, 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 the writers to be actors too. And I was like, I, I don't do that. I can't do that. They were like, no, you have to do it. 
But first you have to audition for Comedy Central. So I did five auditions for Comedy Central. I had written a part for myself. And I would go up to the floor, to like the production floor, and I would see other brown dudes, all more handsome than me, holding sides that I had written with the character named Kamel on top, all auditioning for me. So I auditioned with all these people. And like, Showalter kept being like, worked with me on the tape. He's like, he like really wanted me to do it. And then I didn't have it until the table read and the execs were there. And as I like did my first scene, the executive like tapped me and nodded and I was like, okay. And then doing that, I like fell in love with it because I thought acting was just like saying the lines regurgitating, but doing it, I was like, oh, this is very like, there's a lot to this. This yeah. is like a really artistic thing, you know? It's really, especially when you see someone do it good. Like I, 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 I'm not even joking. Like I, there's a few things that I would actually do, right? Or I would, I've said this before. I will actually go in, uh, put my tour on hold and start at the bottom at SNL. I'd do it for one year. Just have the experience. Just like you would start as like a PA or something. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was like, what oh, do you Jesus. mean? No, you're going to no, go like, to the like, mail room? No, like uh, on the writing as a, what are they, the guys that aren't fully cast members, but like the uh, writers. also starring, you know? Oh, so. You know, like, yeah, like, like. I go in and I write and I'll be one of the people like the low level. She's always like there's the cast and then there's the the star. So you're saying you would go be yeah. on SNL? Yeah. That's well, yeah. the big sacrifice you're going to make? I'm, is go yeah. be on Saturday yeah. Night Live? Yeah. The yeah. only comedy institution that's been running yeah. for decades? You heard it. Wow, man. <laughs> that's a crazy thing. I, I, I bring with me a, a big audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. You'd be great on it, but, but don't do but it. Like, but I would do That's it. I would do it. Path. I would. But no, the only reason I would do it would be. <laughs> to, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it for years. I'd do it for a year because I'd want to see what that whole world was like. I've done it. I wrote there for a week. Oh, as, for real? And then I, you know, I hosted for a week. So I wrote there. You hosted SNL? Yeah, I hosted SNL. Was it worth it? Yeah, I can't wait to do it again. Are you doing it again? No, I would love to do it yeah. again, but I cannot wait to do it again because as soon as it was done. You know, and my episode was good. For me, it was like, I want the monologue to be killer and I hadn't been doing stand-up. But it was one of those things where I was like, I want my monologue to be about something. In the middle of the night, I couldn't sleep. And it was one of those things that happens sometimes where you're just like, oh, I just wrote the 10-minute monologue. Yeah. And I rewrote it. I worked it a lot at the cellar, you know. Yeah. Like, such a great room. Uh, but that was basically the structure of it was just like middle of the night, I wrote it. So all this to say... If I go back, as soon as it was over, I was like, when I do this again, I know how I want to approach it differently. I wrote there for one week as like a trial thing in like right before Silicon Valley, where I went in as a trial writer. I'd just done the Melbourne Comedy Festival when I got the call. They were like, hey, come write for a couple of weeks. I wrote for a week. And then Seth Meyers was the uh, head writer there. Yeah great guy and and when it was done i just signed with an agency and they called me and they were like great news they want you to finish out the season six more weeks and i said okay and i called up my manager and i said i don't want you to ask me any questions about it i don't want you to try and talk me into this i'm just going to say one thing to you and that's that's what's going to happen uh i don't want to do saturday night live and she called she said 
got it and she called my agents my agents were like they must have been like what the fuck we just signed this like open mic yes. comedian and he gets to be a writer for SNL he doesn't want to do it and uh and yeah and then i've seen you know writers from there since then when i went back they're like oh you're the guy that didn't do SNL like they all know about it really yeah i um i just realized it wasn't for me because i hadn't come from the world of sketch i didn't grow up with sketch like I love SNL, but I didn't grow up with it, so it doesn't have that like power over me like oh, it does yeah. for a lot of people. I didn't grow up with it. Yeah. I've only seen it since I moved to America, you know. And, yeah, and you didn't even get the good years. Well, I mean, like, I, I mean, don't you're know. like, but you when you were in, you're but you missed like Farley. Yeah, that was before that was my the. Time. I mean, that was like that was the ones Sandler, I mean, Farley, Spade. I mean, all... I, look, I'm not I'm not taking away everyone. No, who I know knows how I feel mean. about Kristen Wiig and and fucking. And all, like, Sudeikis and Hater, and, yeah, they're all amazing. But amazing. Will Ferrell, that was before my time. You yeah, know? oh yeah, that because yeah, and Will Ferrell. I when I was moved to New York, Will Ferrell was big. Really, when I moved to New York, and I would go to the the cast parties after the show. Yeah, and Will Ferrell was a very sweet, goofy as He's fuck. Still guy. a very sweet guy. Yeah, he was goofy as fuck. I remember one of my first. I had like you know when you move to LA and you're you're age, you have a new agency and they set you up with general meetings. You know, I was yeah. at like some fucking lot Sony or something, completely lost in this huge like it's all these big white buildings. I had no idea where to go. There was a guy on his phone facing away from me, just standing outside. And I was like, um, uh, excuse me, do you know where this building is? And it turns around and it's fucking Will Ferrell. And I was like, <laughs> oh, shit, I'm in L.A. And he told me where the building was. And I was like, OK, thank you, man. And I was like, shit, I just talked to Will Ferrell. Um, but, yeah, it, it just wasn't for me. I realized I'm not good at sketch. It's also not something that. I want to break my back being good at. Like, yeah. I want to be great at the stuff that I love. That I'm never going to be like, I'm never going to be like, uh, who's the lady that just, Kate McKinnon. I'll never be as good as Kate McKinnon. Yeah, I, Kate is one of the most talented sketch performers in history. In history. Um, and I will never be that. It Honestly, you know, it would sort of be hard for me sometimes because I'm friends with Kroll. And he's so good at these characters at and characters. sketch and stuff. And I was sort of like, it would, I would feel bad about it. I was like, oh, why can't I do that? And now I'm like, you know what? I have the things I can do and I have the things I can't do and that's okay. Yeah. Like I just have to focus on and part of it comes from passion and love. Like I just don't I love Mr. Show, you know, I that like Show. changed my life. But I was never like a sketch guy and it's still yeah. not like my, you know, my favorite favorite thing. Doing SNL is awesome. It's really exciting because it really stretches you. It's really good. But for me, I just couldn't I just was like flattered that they wanted me to do it but I, I wasn't i wasn't good at it how different how different i mean like how different of a person are you from the average pakistani dude <laughs> uh i mean you know if i ask you how different you are from the average american dude, uh, well the average floridian yes how different are you extremely yeah extremely like there was always something different about me growing up in florida yeah because even still to this day all my friends still live in Tampa. All my friends still live in Tallahassee. What is Tampa like as a town? Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it it's seems awesome. awesome. It's so great. It's so great, but you but the things, you know, the they you get shown prizes as a kid and you go that that that's the life I want. Right? Like a like a hot chick on a boat and <laughs> you know or like or like the ability to to like there were restaurants that 
I hope to any of my Tampa friends growing up that this makes sense, but there were restaurants that you would want to be able to get in at, like Burroughs Steakhouse or Donatello's or, or like just really nice places. And there was a scene, like, you know, like being a part of, I think it's Yem Mystique Club uh, is like part of the thing. And I never, I never, my parents were both not from Tampa. So I didn't grow up with the Tampa is the end-all, be-all. I kind of looked, as a kid, I looked at, I was in, it sounds horrible, but I was like, Tampa, Florida will never be California. Mm. Like, California's the shit. Mm. I remember thinking that as a kid. And so I had this, like, where not everyone that I grew up with had it. Like, the most adventurous you would be, theoretically. And I, and I'm once again, this doesn't apply to all of Tampa, but I'm just saying, like, no, me and I my know. friends was you go to move to Atlanta. Like Atlanta yeah. was a big, but you didn't, I mean, to this day, you don't see people from Tampa in LA. I never see people. The young lady worked at the Starbucks by my old house and I walked in and she was like, she was like, uh, I went to Academy of Holy Names and I was like, shut up. And I was like, oh my God, you never meet Tampa people out here. It's like, I know. Yeah. She's like, I know you're from Tampa. I know you live right around the corner. And I was like, shut up. And so like every morning I'd go in, she's an actress and kind of catch up with her to make, you know. To check in because it's like a little sister, but you never, never meet people from Tampa, Florida, this, Miami, dude. Miami is like no one leaves Miami. Right. Ricky Cruz, one of the funniest fucking guys in the world, is is. I mean, if you explain Miami, Ricky Cruz is Miami. Guy comes out to L.A. Beautiful, gorgeous. Went to Florida State with him. One of the funniest comics you'll ever see. But he's just like fuck it, man. I'm Miami. I'm Miami. He goes, he's and back he, in and, Miami. And he still does stand-up, still kills it, acts. But he's just like, I'm Miami. That's This is who I am. Yeah. Like, I mean, it is hard because if you want to make it in this biz, you, there's two places where you could really uh, have, don't have a low ceiling. Yeah. You know? Um, but I can't imagine, I mean, I, I can't imagine in this, I'm certain I'm basing this on no statistic I've ever read, but like that the average dude you went to high school with Move to Tampa or move to L.A. or New no, York. No, I that's why, you know, the fact that there's another person from my class that like is in the entertainment business. It's crazy. It's like it's because there's really nobody before us from that school and there's nobody since. It's just so happened that it's two of us from the same year. It's not something that happens. I always felt very, very different. I always felt very weird. And I now, you know, everyone's like, I was weird. But I hated it. I hated that I was different. I, like I said, I wanted to be invisible or I just wanted to be like everyone else. And I was like, I used to just watch movies, TV, and play video games. That's all I did. I was a total, like, I had friends, but I was like a total indoor kid. Like, yeah. in the summer, at the end of the summer, everyone would come back to school, darker skin. I would come back lighter because I was just indoors playing video games and watching movies the whole time. Um, which is why I'm so like, it's so unbelievable that I get to work in this industry that I've loved my entire life. You know, my dad loves movies and he taught me how to love movies. So I was always very weird and hated myself for being weird. And I had nothing, you know, I, I, in high school, like I, I knew I was like, I'm not good looking. I'm not cool. Wait, are you, hang on. Are like, I don't, I can't tell if dudes are good looking. You strike me as a very attractive man. Well, thank you. But I was not. I'll tell you, 
till the age of eight, I was a fucking supermodel. I was like, people would threaten to kidnap me in the streets. I'm not joking. Like, I'd walk into a store and the woman would be like, we're keeping him. And I'd be crying, but also like, yeah, you, of course you want this. You see, I'm, I'm being completely objective. You see a picture of me, you're like, that kid. Like, put that kid on a stage, you know. I was a gorgeous child. And then overnight, it changed. And I didn't. I remember, I didn't realize it immediately. I was like, you know what hasn't happened in a while? People threatening to kidnap me (laughs) because of my looks has not happened. And then I looked at the mirror and I was like, oh no, my head grew huge. My shoulders stayed tiny. My nose got really big. I got four Adam's apples and like a mustache at the age of nine. And from the age of like, I just became absolutely hideous overnight. And it sucks because the world was a certain way and suddenly the world changed, you know? If I was ugly the whole time, I'd be like, fine, this is what it is. But I suddenly was like, what? It was such a part of who I was. Like, I'm the gorgeous little kid. And then then it changed. Um, And so in high school, you know, really low self-esteem, wasn't good looking, not good at sports, not cool. Girls didn't like me. I was just smart. I knew I was smart. So I was like, I just studied all the time. I was like really, really studying, watching movies, playing video games. That's all I fucking did. Really? And so I really felt weird. It's interesting because Emily, my wife, also felt weird, but she went the other way. She was like, fuck you. I'm going to be the weirdest fucking person you've ever seen. She's from a small town in North Carolina, you know? Yeah. She would like dye her hair with highlighters. And kids in school in the seventh grade. And she would like draw all over her shoes. And kids in school would hold, hold her head down in the toilet, like wash off the. Really? Wash the, wash the Sharpie out of her. Small town in North Carolina. Small town, North Carolina. So she was like super fucking weird. And she, and she just was like, I'm just going to be weirder and weirder. And she became goth. She was like really goth in high school, like all black, purple lipstick, purple hair, torn clothes, you know? Yeah. So it's interesting that we both felt similarly. And I decided um, that I didn't want that. I just wanted to be invisible. And she was like, that's going to be my superpower. And fuck you. And I'm going to be, oh, you think I'm ugly? I'm going to be the ugliest fucking person you've ever seen. But but control it. But she, you know, she, she, part of it was, I think, that she really, the music she loved was like Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson and all that. And so she found an outlet for that. I didn't. I didn't find an outlet for how... um, bad i felt about myself was it when you got this is a question i've wondered a lot now i'm a meathead b- born and raised meathead <laughs> like i i, I love from sports. a line of meatheads i love sports growing up i lifted weights uh, oh that's great i lifted weights as like in like high school i had that one moment in high school where i was like where I felt jacked. I mean, yeah, you no, were like popular in high school. Oh yeah, yeah, very popular. Very yeah. popular in college. I was not. And so, but I would lift weights. I've always lifted weights. I've always been comfortable in the gym. And you were like funny in high school and college. Uh, I was probably funnier. I was pretty serious in high school about sports. So like, I wasn't that funny in high school. Although I did have it in me. I just, it wasn't like my, I didn't need it the way I needed it in college. Like in college, I, definitely leaned in that's what happened to me in college i was like someone was like oh you're funny i was like oh i'm funny well then this is my entire existence that's someone said you are the funny the i i heard you are the funniest person i've ever met 
so much in college that if other people said, you've got to meet this guy, he's funny about someone else, I get jealous. Yeah. I go, hold on. I'm I actually, I, not. you forget what you said about me the other yeah, day. But, but does that, well, how's that guy doing now, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Is there a Jeff cast? <laughs> no. And so, but, and then, and then I was like, well, so many people said it to me, I should try stand up but yeah that's how it was for me but there is a part of my personality like right now we just got done sober october i've done 500 calorie workouts every day and i've done 100 push-ups every day that's intense but there's a part of me my brain that regresses to meathead where i find myself you know like feeling my arm and i was I, i was wondering if when you first got jacked the for the first time if all of a sudden it was like almost like a, an out-of-body experience of experiencing a side of your life you never had, and you had witnessed from afar other dudes being like the fucking bully, and then all of a sudden you've got all the bullies' attributes, but you're not that bully, and you're like, right. or you find yourself, I used to say this a lot about you, were you finding yourself in the, in the, in the parking lot like, that's my spot, bitch. You know, like, well, was that coming out of you at all? Not at all. Really? It's interesting that you bring that up. I, the way I think about me never changed. I feel like truly exactly the same person. The only thing that's really changed is I'm a little less um, – I have a little less anxiety, and I have an outlet. Like working out is such an outlet for me. It like yeah. makes me feel so much better. But – so I have not changed in any way. However, dudes will step to me more. So, like, I was at a place with Emily. This was, like, a couple of years ago, and I sort of, like, bumped into a guy by mistake, and he, like, kind of turned, looked at me, and he, like, kind of bowed up. And that's that doesn't happen to me. That's never happened to me. And I was like, what a weird look. What's going on? Are you constipated? Yeah. <laughs> and Emily was like, walk away. He, he wants to fight you. And that's happened to me, like, four or five times where guys, I think they're, like, maybe threatened or they see. I don't know what it is. I can't speak to it. But I've had guys try to pick fights with me way more in the last three years than at any other point in my life. Well, you went you you went from I hope this doesn't sound disrespectful, but you went from what was this castable beta guy yes. to this legit alpha dude. I mean, you're you're you, I have to say, you you honestly got. St- I remember the first time I saw that picture, and I was like, <laughs> dude, he's strikingly handsome. Like, oh, thank like, you. <laughs> like, I guarantee you, there's a, I guarantee you, there's going to be a whole generation of brown babies that are born where Indian dudes are getting laid because, or Pakistani guys are getting laid because of you. Well, Indian and Pakistani are very close. It, oh, it really you is. called me out on it one time on stage. Oh, I remember, did I? Yeah, I remember it was like, I, I'm sorry. I said something about the Indian guy, and, and you go, it's Pakistani motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, try, I'm definitely trying not to make the mistake again. I was just trying to get a laugh, and yeah. I bet I did. Yeah, you uh-huh. did. You did. You were telling the story about pissing in your pants. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, it's it's sort of it's interesting because you're always aware of in this industry how much what the opportunities you get, how much they're based on how you look. You know, like I've certainly worked with some dudes that are like really handsome, and you work with them, and you're like, oh, you you have this job because you're handsome and not because you're good. Yeah. And I remember having this with someone where I was like being grateful that I didn't look like that because I was like, I can do so many more different kinds of things. However, since those pictures came out, my opportunities are different. It really is an industry that's based on, you know, because I think brown guys are really like, 
desexualized were nerds like in american pop culture it's not like that in india because you know look at bollywood those guys are super jacked yeah and so uh my favorite thing in the world are the fucking bollywood movies did you see rrr no you gotta see this movie it's gonna change your life it's on netflix just just watch it's so so fun it's like a big crazy action movie it's like that kind of stuff that you're seeing on screen yeah all the time the entire movie is just people flying around being insane there's there based no. on a true story <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah obviously it's uh, exaggerated but like look at that guy that guy fucks you know yeah that guy fucks yeah i i there was there i used to there were the the song and dance bollywood movies where the the motorcycle drives by itself and the guy's like sitting on it yes and i could not stop watching them i would get mesmerized at those big dance sequences. Yeah, because because I like I did that I did that dance video uh, yeah. a while back where I danced in a speedo and then and it sold tour dates and I was like the next one I do is in Bollywood. Yeah, and I talked to a Bollywood producer who could get me the dance. He could get me everything. He was like, I'll get you everything. You got to get to Mumbai or wherever uh, to, in Delhi. Yeah, to do it. But I'll get you everything, and I'll yeah. get you at a good cost. You can get a good cost. He's like, that's what he's like. We can get it cheap, but oh. you got to learn the dance, and 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 I'll get you whatever you need. And I almost to promote a tour flew to fucking India. That would have been awesome. I just thought it was. I just think it's so cool. You By the way, I'm so and I'm just never ever landed because we didn't have a ton of diversity in Tampa. Like, I am so attracted to Indian women's and women, and I'd never, ever, ever, ever fucking knew that cause I never knew anyone in college yeah never knew anyone in high school yeah grade school moved the fucking second i moved to new york met a chick and i was like, I was like she is fucking gorgeous yeah God yeah damn it. i mean i grew up watching bollywood movies and those you know actresses like dragged me through puberty oh like, my God. kicking and screaming beautiful great hair great hair um, great facial features what's up padma lakshmi yeah, she's it's the, one of the most beautiful women I've. I mean, yeah, she's beautiful. Uh, have you met her? She's she's no. great. She's, I think I have, but it was when I was on Travel nice. Channel. Yeah, she is gorgeous. Yeah, um, yeah. so it's it, watch that movie. It's, R-R-R, you're going it. to have such a good time watching that movie. Yeah, I'll I, watch it. I guarantee it. What projects do you have? Anything coming up that you can talk about? Yeah, I've got a show coming out uh, November 22nd called Welcome to Chippendales. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I saw the trailer for it. Yeah. It looks fucking awesome. Yeah, it's really good. You play the guy that started Chippendales. Yeah, the guy who started Chippendales was an immigrant. And uh, he, you know, he was like this fat, nerdy immigrant. And he started Chippendales. And so I uh, I think it's, I, I really love the show. I, I saw the trailer great. for it. It looks fucking awesome. And nobody knows, but there's like crazy, that's me. I gained weight for the for the role. Did you really? Yeah, I gained 25 pounds and then I've lost it since then. Uh, but you see, my face looks different. Like, yeah, yeah. It's because uh, I felt like you know I couldn't look like someone who could jump on stage with these guys, yeah. and I kind of did look like that. Yeah. So I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna gain weight for it. Um, crazy shit happened behind the the real story of this is insane. There's like multiple murders and stuff. Really? So this is like a sort of a true crime story. Yeah, there's like uh, people ended up getting killed. Other like competitors started getting like uh, their buildings started getting set on fire. Like it's a really crazy, intense story. It's awesome. I uh, can't wait to watch it. It's the first time I, I got to play like kind of a bad dude. 
I've never gotten to like play that. So I love these. I love these types of series. They did one on the Lakers. They did one on. Yeah, I love that one. It was a great one. I I saw the one. Did you see the one? Um, Jake Jack John, Jake Johnson. Do you know who that is? Yeah, with uh, with the uh, in the seventies. I didn't watch it. The Minx. The Minx. It's I didn't about see Playgirl. It. Yeah, he's. Or, I think he's a great actor. Dude, he is fucking. He's always awesome. really good. Someone told me that like, oh, he's a huge fan of yours, and I was like, for real? Yeah. And so I started like I followed him on Instagram. I was like, that's interesting. You don't follow me, and then and then I was like, I I watched the Minx because of it, and yeah. I was like, oh wow. And I started bringing his name up every time. I'd be like, I did, you know. Yeah. And then there was someone was like, oh, it's not that guy. It's a different guy. I was ah, like, I was like actually, well, I got, I got really into this guy because yeah, of, someone told me he was it's, a fan. It's actually Jake Johansson. Yeah. <laughs> Jake Johansson. By the way, one of my favorite comedians of all a time. A murderer. One of the reasons I started doing stand-up is this will take about an hour on HBO. That is like special from the 90s. He is fucking awesome. And he's a guy I would go see him at Zany's in Chicago every year he came. And it was always a completely different killer hour. God. Damn it. Well, dude, I'm so glad you can sit down. Dude, and do thanks this so much for me. having me. You, you, you're, you're one of the best dudes. And, and oh, you're my like, God. Well, you you know, too. There's the, the inner circle of who we all talk about, who you get excited for that succeeds. <laughs> That's so you sweet. Know? And I'm telling you right now, you were in that fucking, you were in my chat thread. When that picture came up, <laughs> everyone, I think, I want to say Rogan hit me up and said uh, it to me. He's like, dude, Kumail looks fucking <laughs> awesome. And then Tom's like, Fucking, these are my goals yeah. for two. Tom looks great. Have you seen yeah, Tom recently? Yeah, Tom looks great. Tom, Tom looks, looks great. great. He's down to 205. Yeah. He's fucking jacked. He's figured out, like, he's, yeah, he, he looks great. And I honestly think the same way about you, man. You and Tom both, you know. I, I, with Tom, you know, uh, I know him a little bit more than I know yeah. you, but I just text him. I'm like, dude, I'm so proud of everything you've done. And you, too, it's so great that you have this much success on your own terms uh, because of who you are you did it yourself nobody else you didn't wait for other people to do it you were you, like man. this is who i am and i'm gonna be successful and you're still you know yourself you're not an <laughs> asshole I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> yeah you're not grounded you know i mean you're, you are grounded you know yeah. and even when you know you you, you post uh, like a picture of you in a private jet or something it's sort of <laughs> like can you fucking believe i'm here and not people who are like I always think like when comics post pictures of private jets, I'm like, you're supposed to be relatable. You yeah. can't do this. But with so, you, it is relatable. Someone told me they go, they go, yeah, there's sometimes you see comics in private jets, but then when you do it, everyone's like, oh shit, I didn't know we could get private jets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess anybody could do this. Yeah. yeah. Oh shit, I didn't right. know we could yeah, all yeah, do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see Amy Schumer, you're like, wow, she's a big movie star. Yeah. With Bert, you're like, oh, I guess anybody can get that. Yeah. Wait, I should ask how much those cost. Oh, I, I can afford that to Vegas. <laughs> Don't do it. It's oh, crazy. It, they're the dumbest things ever. The yeah, fucking I private know. jets are the fucking. The first time I did it was for the big sake. We were doing like a tour, yeah, like a stand-up tour. And Ray Romano was like, you know, I don't fly commercial because he's like very oh, yeah, scared of yeah, flying. Yeah. And so he was like, I'll pay for everyone's private jet to do this tour. And I was like, great. So that was the first time like we were like, wow. Oh, it's so crazy. Is I have a fear, horrible fear of flying, and it's so much easier for me to fly commercial than it is private. Because private bounces around so much more it so that I much. do not enjoy it. Right. I only I I will only fly private when I have to. Yeah. Because it can't I can't get there in time. Yeah, and if somebody pays for it, I'm never gonna I flew private it. to Europe for the movie. Yeah, how is the movie, by the way? Oh, uh here I'll play the trailer for you. We'll yeah. edit it. we'll edit this out. But unless you absolutely love it. Here, put the headphones on. 
so this is the teaser. Yeah, to let's see my it. My movie. My father was no criminal. He was a salesman. And then you stole the only thing he ever cared about. Sorry. Made him say fuck honest living. If you want respect, you have to take it. And from there, he built our family. <laughs> oh my god. I'm your origin story. Did you throw up? I'm gonna throw up. Don't throw up. Don't throw up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's fine. It's fine. Did you just put it in your pocket? I don't know where to put it. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you, man. That's so great. I have many things to say about it. First of all, Atencio is so good at being, he's a great filmmaker and also really funny. So when I see that, I'm like, that looks like a kick ass action movie, but it's also really funny. Uh, looks fucking great. Oh, and Tatro, how funny is Jimmy Tatro? He's fucking amazing. Isn't he really he good? Was, he would, it's amazing. Well, like when you say when you talk about people, it's like when you see people that can really act, you're like, oh, you're getting laughs on everything you do. Yeah, and with with Tatro, you know, he's in Stuber. He's got a yeah. he's really funny in Stuber. And I remember, I sort of was like, he was sort of like famous online. And some of these people you meet, you're like, you're not. But with Tatro, immediately he was in the car. We were doing a scene, and he was like. I could see he wanted to be really good in the scene, and he got a note, and he was like working on it, and I was like, "Oh, you're gonna you're gonna go places because you yeah. really want to be good at this." He did. Uh, <laughs> he's the funniest fucking guy. I spent a lot of time with him. I yeah. really love that guy. He's so talented, and he's, he's hilarious in this fucking. Movie. He's he's amazing and a very hard worker and a good dude. I'm excited to see that movie. If you want a screening I, of it, hit me up. I dude. I will. I please will. Do, please I'm do. I'm so glad that uh, to con- consider you a friend, man. Oh Congrats man, I on love all your you. Success. Thank you. And I just want to show you my gym. And yeah, no, I, I I saw a little <laughs> bit of it. I I just I just got a gym in my house. Did um, you really? Yeah, I just got it. I've been going to like a gym, but yeah, I just got it. Um, but thanks for having me, man. Of course, uh, buddy. Welcome to Chippendales, November twenty second on Hulu. It's a really fucking great show, crazy story, and uh, thanks for having me, man. Fuck yeah. All right. Bert and Tom, Tom and Bert. One goes topless while the other wears a shirt. Tom tells stories and Bert's the machine. There's not a chance in hell that they'll keep it clean. Here's what we call Two Bears, One Cave. No scripts, a bit of booze, amateur protology. Dirty jokes, raunchy humor, no apologies. Here's what we call Two Bears, One Cave.